Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 8. Thanks for joining us again. You've dropped into Part 6 of a series on what leaders actually do. In this episode, we're going to talk about the leader's role in projects and processes. Now, this is my opinion, and I'm okay with being wrong if you want to disagree with me. I've done none of the formal research on this, but if my observational skills are as they should be, well, it's an informed opinion. When most large business settings talk about providing leadership, this is usually what they mean. Projects and processes. Why do I say that? Well, because these are tangible, easily measured skills. Success and failure in these roles is relatively easy to determine based on expectations, metrics, and functional outcomes. Now, when I was doing a lot more feet-on-the-ground consulting work, I'd often get called into a project, and I'd wind up mapping the business model using Rational Unified Process. Now, when I first encountered RUP, it struck me as a complicated way to do simple things. But what it, and tools like it, did for me was to help me to see the bits and pieces that made up complex systems. It taught me to sort through complexity in a very structured way and to find my way through difficulties through elegant solutions. Okay, we sometimes lose the original meaning of the word elegant, which means uncluttered, uncomplicated, graceful, refined. Elegant does not mean simple. It does mean that nothing is wasted. And true elegance means that everything has a purpose and that no part of it is simply for show. And that's why today we're going to look at the leader's responsibility for projects and processes. For years I've made the argument that one cannot be a leader if he or she cannot successfully manage a project through to completion. So I've had a few people argue with me that I'm blurring the line between leadership and management. And I would argue that I'm not. Most of your life and work consists of projects. And really, a project simply means a specific something that needs to get done, along with a start date and a target goal. You have to be able to think in terms of available people, resources, time, and expertise. And every one of those pieces has to be handled well. Now that sounds pretty technical, Sam. Why do you lump it with leadership and not with management? Well, admittedly, it's a bit of both. When I spoke a couple of episodes ago about setting mission, direction, and strategic plans, I focused on where are we going, how do we get there, and who cares? Being able to lead projects is a core element in the how-do-we-get-there piece. It's troubling to me when people say things like, I really want to move into a leadership role, but they don't have the skill set necessary to actually lead. You have to have feet on the ground. Now, if you'll excuse a brief excursion, this all reminds me of a speech given by President Theodore Roosevelt. It's relevant here. Now, please excuse the masculine pronouns. The speech is a product of its era. So no disrespect is intended. Here is the best-known excerpt from that speech. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. 
The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually strive to do the deeds, who know great enthusiasms, who know great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows, in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. This Teddy Roosevelt quote is relevant. I know of one author who boldly contends that life is projects. One of the problems of citing sources well is uh, I couldn't locate her name or the paper where she wrote about that. But I think she's onto something, and my apologies for the missing citation. See, all of our life consists of projects that need to get done, and the only fixed points are birth and death, and between those points, a myriad of projects. Some are mundane, like clean out the storage room. Some are a little bit more interesting, like paint that Amish landscape that I've been thinking about, write that song, or even record Season 2, Episode 8. Put simply, as a leader, it's your job to see things through to completion. You'll need to manage time and resources and workloads and outcomes and deliverables to get the job done. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to go out and get your project management certificate, but depending on your role and your responsibilities, that might be a good idea. But even if you don't, you probably need some basic understanding of how project management works. LinkedIn Learning, yes, that LinkedIn, has a huge number of opportunities for self-study in a lot of areas, including project management. As an academic, one of the things that I appreciate about PMI, the Project Management Institute, is that their PMP certification is not an academic program. Yeah, there are things to be learned, but in order to qualify to sit for the certification exam, you need not only the book learning, but about a thousand hours of experience managing projects. And that all needs to be documented before you can pursue becoming a certified project management professional. Now, you can find all about uh, that at PMI.org. They have a variety of certifications, programs, and depending on the needs and the rigors of your field. But you don't have to go the full certification route. Just getting a good background in project management can be a huge help to you. Personally, for most of my work, I use a basic bullet journal. Yeah, I know it's trendy and all over the internet, but I've modified bullet journaling to work for me. That method allows me to keep track of about 80% of my tasks and my deliverables. Now, the remaining 20% are big enough that I have to resort to more structured project management tools. It's funny, as much of a geek as I am, I still prefer paper tools for that kind of work. Now, that might not be right for you, but the portable CEO tools from David Saya have been a huge help in structuring my bigger projects. I'll post a link to that. In corporate settings, project management software tends to dominate, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you find yourself in a situation like mine where you have ultimate responsibility for outcomes and deliverables, you can probably use the system that suits you best. Take the time to learn the tools that are most relevant to your work, whether you pick them or they're picked for you. Either way, you have to be able to see projects through to completion if you want to be a leader. 
Now the next piece that you need in order to lead is the ability to create and manage processes. Now at some point, every task item on your project plan has to be turned into a process. Think of this as the operations side of your work. See, I'm a workflow geek, so this idea appeals to me. I first discovered this in my first job a thousand years ago when I worked in a newsroom. At that time, the newspaper I worked for was printed in the afternoon, and it was my job to come into the newsroom at about 5 a.m. and begin sorting through all the news that had come in overnight. I designed my workflow around the needs of the newsroom and made sure that the high-priority stuff was handled first. What was interesting about that job was that I had interviewed for it, but I ultimately got the job when my predecessor broke his leg. (laughs) What that meant was I had no orientation other than here's your work area, here's the technology, and that's where the bathroom is. I had to figure it out. And that was when I learned the power of workflow. Now, there's one local company here that uh, designed an entire facility around the workflow needs of their employees. When they built their building, the employees had a say in the overall design. But they also had creative and ergonomic control over their workplaces. It's a pretty cool concept. All that to say, there's a structural and functional element to everything that needs to get done. See, as the leader, you probably wouldn't want complete control over the workflow or the processes. Whether you know it or not, you're too idealistic, and you don't deal with the day-to-day chaos of the people who actually have their feet on the ground doing the work. Processes need to evolve as best practices get identified and integrated. What that means, back to the first part in this series on what leaders do, what that means is that you have to pay attention to the wisdom of others, Processes basically document the daily actions of a team, a group, or a production unit. And you probably don't want to say, do it my way. Keep the focus on the outcome you want and tweak the process to get it right. So what do good processes look like? Well, over the years, I found that no matter what kind of work you're doing, a good process will make the work better. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a creative workflow, about manufacturing, software development, coding, production, whatever. First, you'll want a process that reduces waste as much as possible. Not just raw material waste, but time waste, resource waste, and even repetitive stress injuries, which I will get to in a minute. Yet another sidebar. I'm not a great fan of Taylorism. Fred Taylor developed the idea that managers should scientifically reduce the number of steps and distance in any production routine. The idea was greater efficiency through science. And like so many good points, it got overused to the point that the people doing the process actually became the one thing that got in the way of maximum efficiency. Instead of serving people, Taylorism tended to reduce people to cogs in the machine. That has not had a good outcome for us, culturally speaking. Anyway, Taylor did teach us that a process should be effective and as efficient as possible. And I would add to that that a process, as I'm using the term here, a process needs to be people-centric. The process needs to serve you. It shouldn't, be, if, it shouldn't mean that you are serving the process, if you take my meaning. 
Another key factor in successful processes is that they need to be repeatable. Standardize things as much as possible so that the major planning work can make life easier. Processes can be reused, repeated, and adapted. As they used to say, don't reinvent the wheel every time you have to implement a new process or procedure. Use the processes that are already in place and adapt them as needed. Now this falls under the category of don't hear what I'm not saying. You could take that and put yourself in the mindset of we've always done it this way. Well, don't do that. There are many times that you need to innovate and develop new processes based on new ideas, technological developments, and the good wisdom of the people who are actually getting the work done. Do that. Pay attention to that. But remember that your current processes also have real business value. And since you know they already work, use them. Another thing to think about in processes is the element of quality control. If your process isn't getting the kind of results you need, change the process. It was J. Edwards Deming who made the observation that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If you want better quality, better efficiency, and better results in general, you may need to adjust how you do things. As a leader, you have to be constantly monitoring your results, and if the quality or the output isn't there, well, you need to make some adjustments. I recently had a conversation with a leader who was lamenting the fact that it was so hard to improve on excellent. Here was an organization that was in the range of 99.999% perfect and working to move the needle toward 100%. Man, it's hard to convince people that almost perfect still leaves room for improvement. That's tough, but again, it comes to making sure that processes are refined and followed. See, the last piece of the process puzzle is that processes need to be respectful. Respectful gets down to a few key questions. Is the work dehumanizing? No one wants to do work that makes them feel valueless. Is the work harmfully repetitive? I have a friend who worked for many years in the canvas industry, and that repetitive work did a lot of damage to her back and her shoulder. And that's what I mean about respectful. This is the right place to have technology augment the workflow so that people can thrive and do meaningful work without compromising their long-term wellness. People are to be respected. They are not commodities to be used up. Well, when I first started working on this material, I had every intention of adding policies to the mix. Leaders need to develop policies, and they need to know what those policies can and cannot do. But I found that that piece needed much more than just a small chunk of an episode. So, I have an episode on policy planned, and you can expect to hear that later in Season 2. So, for now, let me remind you to consider how you lead through good project management and through processes that are repeatable, sustainable, and respectful. Doing that should keep you plenty busy until we meet again. Thanks. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. 
I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.